When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. Hey everyone, welcome to the weekend show of the Major Spoilers podcast. So glad that you're with us. Matthew is with us. Rodrigo is with us. Hello, gentlemen. Hey. You know, we Hello, run the, future Steven. <laughs> you know, we run the uh, the weekend show quite a bit different than what we run uh, the normal <laughs> show, the main show. Because, yeah. you know, sometimes we yeah. don't even know if we're going to have a weekend show. Right. Sometimes we just True. say, yeah, we got nothing to talk sometimes, about this week. Other sometimes times, we record an entire show and then the spirit of Newt Rockney takes it off the air and <laughs> says, ooh. <laughs> scary stuff kids blah that was a, that was actually an awesome episode i really wish that was that the that best episode, episode we've ever been. done i swear to you and I, I'm, I'm not just saying that because it doesn't exist i'm saying that it was literally one of our best shows and we couldn't go back and replicate it if we tried no because there were some some big reveals that were made that you had to be listening in the moment yeah and sometimes we just yeah. spend a whole hour talking about where the f is Smallville located? Which I guess a little. Some people were at. Irate. I heard it's in Pennsylvania. I, I guess some people were irate because they thought we were actually going to talk about Smallville, the television <laughs> series. Uh, I think some people were upset because I mean, we rattled on for an hour talking about. Well, don't be Smallville, mad, Kansas. Don't be mad at us. Be mad at the WV for naming it that. <laughs> and it's also worth I mean, noting that you know, it, even Jack Kirby created the Silver Surfer, but you know what else he created? The Black Racer. A guy yeah. on skis who doesn't have any black in his costume. So, I mean, they can't all be gems, thanks. Hey, guys. I'll fanboy in with the standard love the podcast, because I do. I have for some time. However, hey, I wanted to enter into the greater listener. spoilers experience by, have, by taking advantage of this whole interactive internet thing. So he goes on and he's going to talk about some of our previous episodes. Love the discussion of the Rocketeer that we had a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen the collections, but I'll look out for them. I do remember the movie quite well, though, I, uh, though, and I really loved it. Maybe because it was such a different tone, but I never uh, lumped it in or even compared it to the Batman movies. In regards to Superman or Wonder Woman, which, you know, would you rather see a Superman mm-hmm. movie or a Wonder Woman television show? I gotta go with Superman. I'd love to see someone do something fresh with it and not try to recycle what people in the late 70s liked, but with modern morals. I like our movie's treatments, and I agree with Matthew... And him, I think uh, him means Rodrigo. Yeah, I, think, I think that R is me. Oh, okay. Or or possibly oh. R. Kelly, who had a pretty oh, good treatment right. as well. I like which R's Superman movie is, treatment. Superman is in a closet with treatment. a lump of kryptonite and he can't get out. I wouldn't mind seeing an R-rated Superman movie. Yeah. Uh, so I like Rodrigo's movie treatment, and I agree with Matthew and him, Rodrigo, that there are plenty of ways to make an interesting Superman story. Asking why Superman isn't popular is the wrong question. I realize, and he's putting this towards me, I realize you sort uh, sort of recanted when you said, why isn't he more popular? But the first time you said it, it was much more extreme. In regards to Superman and power levels, yes, it is extreme. I'm all or nothing. Uh, Power levels should be around what we see in the comics and or animated series. Morals and intention should be impeccable, but the plot can play off of that. There was an Alex Ross oversized book, for instance, that dealt with Superman trying to stop world hunger. There were too many political and human things from outside standing against him. It wasn't a question of his intentions or morals. And then, to correct, and I was wrong on this, and I, I knew it as soon as I said it last week, I think, when I made the comment about, uh, you know, Superman was created by just these couple of guys in Chicago. Mm-hmm. As soon as it came out, I was like, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. But then I'd said it, and we were already talking on to something not. else. Yeah, that's right. By the way, Superman wasn't created by a couple of guys in Chicago. It was Canadian Schuster and an American Seagull who officially created him while Schuster was visiting Seagull in Cleveland. I knew that. I just had forgotten at that time. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that a character, uh, I love the fact that a character that Wiki says widely considered to be an American cultural icon is actually half Canadian. That's right. He's got two daddies and one of them's Canadian. And one of them's Kryptonian. Thanks for and letting the other us one's Jewish. be opinionated from Blake. <laughs> so I thought we'd get that the out. The Jewish Canadians week. are always uh, Meshuggah, eh? Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, <coughs> you know, Matthew, this wraps up your your big celebration week at Major Spoilers. Yep, I got a couple of couple of bullets still in the gun tomorrow, but uh, we're kind of wrapping up my four year four 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 year Hamaframalamastat. I think that uh, aside from you yourself, uh, that that may make me the most tenured uh, employee or or a contributor. Is that not correct? Or uh, that would be correct because nobody's been around longer than me. Yeah, and you're only the employee number yeah. two, so. Which means you get a cool suit and an eye patch. Yeah, you get an eye patch. Yeah. And in, in another 11 years, I might get a gold watch as you walk me out the door. Gold watch? You know, we've been talking watch. about these things. It's going to be bronze plated. I didn't say it was actually made of gold. Gold is a color as well as a metal. So you choose chose uh, all but, these you know, retro reviews this week. Because why? Because these were comics that were life-changing to because you? Because these are the comics that meant something to me, comics that resonated with me. Um, in some cases, I know in one case, it's an appearance of a favorite character. In another, it's kind of an iconic issue of a favorite series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are some that are just books that I kind of went, this is freaking awesome, and I'm now going to wear this as a symbol of, you know, my nerdity. But I think the most important thing is... When we started doing this and when you, when you pitched it and said, hey, you should totally come like do this stuff. And we'll have like a website and stuff. And it'll be like, well, my my first thought was, well, yeah, as long as I can, you know, basically have it be the equivalent of having a conversation with somebody and saying, here's why I loved this episode of blank. Blank or here's man? what was really great about this shoot. Yeah. Blank man was actually not half bad. Blunt man. I thought blank blank man was OK. So I guess Black maybe Man wasn't bad. What are some what are some of the books? And Matthew, you've kind of given us a peek inside, but maybe there's some other books that have been important moments in your time. Some other titles, some other comic books that defined you or shaped you or made you appreciate things more or changed you in some way. The first real uh book that kind of just made you go, ooh, was oddly enough The Defenders. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure, you know, you could make a lot of psychological analyses and half of them would be wrong, but the Avengers were always the best and the brightest and the Fantastic Four were super competent and they were like a family and they loved each other. And no matter what happened, they had that. And the Defenders were a bunch of guys and the Defenders were a bunch of guys who didn't even necessarily know what they were doing. There's one episode of the Defenders where they star in a documentary Years before reality TV, mind you, a live documentary where someone follows the Avengers around and, you know, records all their actions and, uh, excuse me, the Defenders. And they're like, be a Defender for a day. And like 30 heroes and 15 villains show up and they all want to be a Defender. And the villains are like, yes, we are Defenders. (laughs) Now we rob banks. (laughs) And, you know, it's like. 45, 50 characters just dancing around. The Blob is in it and Iron Fist yeah. and Black Goliath who uh, died in the Civil War. And it's just, it, when you get to the end of it, the whole story is really almost saying, look how ridiculous the idea of a superhero is in practice and look how goofy this would be and how untenable a superhero team would be. And I just, I love that aspect where, you know, they can say, here's the book. Here's the selling point, and now we are going to bite the hand that feeds us repeatedly and hard. Right, Rodrigo. What about you? Do you I, have the, a book? The, that... No, go ahead, man. Yeah. Finish up. No, it's Rodrigo's turn. Okay. I've been talking for like five minutes. Rodrigo, what about you? Is there a comic book that you just that changed the way you looked at things? Um, I think uh, for me, probably the first comic when I. That that I looked that that really changed things for me was uh, actually Kingdom Come mm-hmm. because it was the first time that I realized that superheroes could be treated not just as superheroes. You know the the whole the whole issue of Kingdom Come is you know basically the big DC guys are gods, right, right, with human intelligences and moralities and and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So how do you reconcile that that amount of power with you know the, their humanity? Um, and, and since then I've, I've always kept a lookout, kept, kept an eye out for stuff like that. That's really why I like the, uh, the, the first part of, or I guess as long as Straczynski was doing Thor, 
Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. it's it's a guy who's always been a superhero, and it's always been hard to see why Thor even is a superhero. Right. But here he was actually treated as a a an, a hero, not a superhero, like a hero in the in the sense of like the Iliad. Mm-hmm. You know, basically trying to protect his people um, against outside threats. Um, I I really like the uh, that. Uh, Iron Fist, like the seven capital cities of heaven arc. Right. Um, was it seven? Um, yeah, it was seven. It was, Excuse you know, me, it's, like... it's that, it's that <laughs> moment when you take somebody who's been forced into a superhero area. Right. And then just let him be what he was actually, you know, where his influence comes from rather than force him into, being this reactive guy who just waits for somebody to commit a crime so he can run in and beat him up. Right. Have him be a kung fu fighter or a cowboy or a a an epic hero. Um and then of course by the other token is I'm always on the lookout for terrible books for what you know what not to do. <laughs> so in that sense, um Race born. I you know I I, I think throughout there have been some terrible terrible issues of and and there's been great issues but also terrible ones of you know witchblade and the darkness and a lot of the stuff in the 90s which is stuff that i was reading because that's when i started reading comics right and and to me that's been formative in the sense that um there were a lot of comics that were all razzle dazzle and had nothing to them oh sure no thought oh, behind yeah, yeah. them whatsoever uh um, the 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 pit the pit, um, the creech. What was the one that the the girl that was essentially dark child? Dark child. Yeah, a lot of those books. Um, you know, some of them have been able to backwards engineer their niche and their um, their charm, essentially, right? To 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 become mainstays. But a lot of those books, and a lot of even you know, just individual characters in longstanding in longstanding books like Shatterstar and you know cable and all of those guys <laughs> they have had to dedicate entire writing teams right. to making those characters actually plausible so in a weird way i would i would sit down and read those comics and say to myself this is not satisfying why is this not satisfying and you know it, it those comics shaped a lot of the way that i criticize things and really the way that i criticize things is why i'm even here at major spoilers is because you know a i i i know what i want out of a piece when i start reading it and when i start Mm -hmm. what what they start going for b i spent a lot of money on film school so i should criticize something (laughs) um and d i like talking about comics yes and we know you do too that's right stop spending all your cash on back issues of the flash yep and i would if i had any yeah, that's the funny thing. We were talking on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, depending on when you're listening to it and when it was released. We were talking about the price changes in comics and as like half-jokingly asked Rodrigo, how does that affect your buying uh, habits? Hey, Rodrigo still is not going to buy any more comics. No, not way, really. So. Because yeah. when I do buy comics, it's usually on Impulse anyway, right. and not not specifically the character. Oh, you impulse. know, Impulse was a great series. I you know I like what I read of Impulse. I liked I really like Young Just like the first couple issues of Young Justice where it was just like Robin, Superboy, and Impulse. They were like really fun and goofy, and I really liked the art. I think that was was that Ramos. I don't think so on Young Justice. Oh, maybe that was. I think that was Todd Nock. Mm -hmm. I want to say Todd Nock, who did a very passable Ramos impersonation. Right. Yeah. Uh, That Impulse run. I mean. I missed, I think, I think the thing that attracted me to that was the Ramos art mm-hmm. because it's just, you know, it's so different from anything that you were seeing. Yeah. The girls had these big round boobies. Right. And here's this kid that's really little, but is, you know, a speedster. Right. And it ties back into what was going huge on in feet. Flash. Huge feet. And, you know, I didn't like the fact that, specifically with Impulse, I didn't like the fact that they took Ramos's style and then incorporated it into the storyline that he actually had really big feet. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that very much. It, it it can kind of make that make a weird disconnect. I I've definitely seen stuff like that before where like characters will make or it's kind of like a lot of the times it's like Wolverine being short. Right. It's like some sometimes he's really not short because the artist forgets that he's supposed to be shorter than mm-hmm. everyone else. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they really overemphasize his shortness. So it's right. like, Wolverine, you are so very short. And honestly, 
if he really was only four feet tall, like sometimes he's drawn, <laughs> yeah. then he would have a hell of a bigger complex about it as opposed to just kind of rolling with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, I think most people have probably figured out that the com- one of the comic books that influenced me greatly was um, Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. That's one of those that for years... I'd always seen it in the bookstores, you'd be Dalton or the Walden books and sitting there up there on the shelf because they'd have it sitting there on the shelf and it, and it was just always up there on the top shelf in these graphic novels, hardbound book vo- areas or maybe mm-hmm. even a paperback. And I always flipped through and I was like, I don't understand this art. Why is Superman all, you know, decimated? Square jaw. Yeah. And I couldn't understand what was going on. Why does he look like Charlton Heston? Yeah. I always kept putting it back down and putting it back down. And finally I said, you know what? I'm just going to pick it up and read it. Again, when I go to the when I went to the comic book store as a young person or as a younger person, uh, I didn't go in and talk to the people in the store. I went in, walked around the store for probably better part of a half hour looking at mm-hmm. stuff, and then made my purchases and left. Made sure I had enough money, made my purchases and left. I didn't See, I, I didn't even do that when when I was a kid cuz I I never had any money. So oh, okay. I would just look at the comics, oh, yeah, and yeah. you know, if they grumbled enough at me, I, w- I wouldn't even open them. I would mm-hmm. just kind of stare at the covers. Yeah, because I'd be like, okay, I've got $20. Mm-hmm. How am I best going to spend my money? What looks good on the cover? What's going to attract me? What's interesting? Of course, I wanted to pick up some Batman books. Occasionally, I'd pick up a Superman. I'd look for things that had the beautiful women on the covers, mm-hmm. flip through that. And sometimes I'd set a book down and go wander around and come back to it a couple of times going, do I really want this? Do I really need this? And then uh, eventually that's what happened with uh, The Dark Knight Returns. I was like, well, let me just pick it up and see what it is. I've got some extra money. I don't remember what the trade, I bet you it was like 14, 20 bucks, something like that. Mm-hmm. At one time. So I 12 99 Was that what it was? I, I must have had some extra money. And I Back said, in the 90s, book. yeah, the late 80s. And I bought that book and I went home and read it and read it all the way through and just loved it. I was like, wow, this is how you tell a story. This is mm-hmm. much different than mm-hmm. what I was reading in you know, um, death in the family or what I was reading in trying to think what else I would have been picking up at that time. Um, right. Uh, zero hour, the doc Savage, no zero hour wouldn't have been until the nineties. Zero was much later. So, you know, that was, that was interesting. That was a different way of telling a story. I was like, this is, this is, this is really interesting. No, Sin City hadn't been out yet. Um, I think Frank Frank Miller went from dark Knight returns to what, what was after that? Daredevil. Okay. So I don't he know. He did what a he Dark Knight Returns, and then I think he did a run writing Batman. Oh yeah, maybe that was it. Didn't he write Year Two? Yeah, year well, one? he wrote Year One. Yeah. Is that? Mm. But that was like nine. Or was that David Mazzucchelli? I don't remember. Either way, I know he went and he did a uh, a run working for other stuff. I think he did make a comeback to Daredevil because his Daredevil run was earlier. His Daredevil run started in like eighty one. But yeah, Batman Year One was Frank Miller, and that came that started in '87. So yeah, that would probably be about that time that he was doing on that. But I don't know. That was just that was just a different way of telling a Batman story that I hadn't thought about. Mm-hmm. And that that was a book that I that really struck me as as something important. Um, and again, I'd already been reading comics for quite a while before I came across the, across this one and said, "Wow, this is really cool." Matthew, do you have another one? Oh, I have a number of them. I think that something that's really in, you know, informed my choice of comics was very early, like literally month or two into my discovery that you could go to the drugstore and buy comics. I bought uh, issue five of the official handbook to the Marvel Universe, the original edition, ugly pink cover with the Hulk on it, drawn by Joe Rubenstein. And... Reading those books, and I now, again, I have like nine different versions of the thing. I buy it every time it comes out. I have the trade paperback. I have the new, I mean, if it's an encyclopedic book, I read it, I buy it. But reading those, you know, taught me that there are stories out there that I wanted to know about. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know about the Hulk fighting the 3D man. I wanted to know about, you know, the time that the Metal Master came to Earth or when uh, Barit, the Krylorian uh, uh, performance artist, created movies about the Hulk in his early years. So that really created my tendency to go into the back issue bits because, you know, something that most people don't realize is, yeah, I'm ancient, but I didn't start reading comics until... 82 and didn't start really voraciously absorbing comics till 84. 
So a lot of the things that I love are actually before the time when I should have been reading. So I didn't read comics until I was too old. Uh, Uncle Bob told me so. But um, in 1982, I remember walking into S&S Drugstore during a power outage, and I only had enough money for one comic, and I bought Ghost Rider number 81, the last issue of Ghost Rider. And it was the awesomest awesome that ever did awesome, and I loved it, and it was like, ooh, Flaming Skull, I should get one. My cousin Elwood, by the way. um, I know. My cousin Elwood actually has a tattoo, a Ghost Rider Flaming Skull tattoo. From our childhood love of Ghost Rider. Nice. Uh, most people don't know this, but uh, Uncle Bob, cousin Elwood's father. Didn't know that, did you? Um, well, and I think most people <laughs> and still Met- think Metropolis is in Pennsylvania. Um, no, I, 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 I think people true. still think you're joking every time you talk about Uncle Bob and, and cousin Elwood. Nope. My mother's uh, younger sister, Sherry, who was a twin, married Bob. Bob's a Fine man. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't care for him because he always had to do what I do. He had to be the enforcer. Mm. Wait till your Uncle Bob gets here and he'll, you know, he'll spank your bottom. But um, Uncle Bob's son, Elwood, was an awesome influence on a lot of the things that I read. But neither here nor there. Actually, exactly here, because most of the comic books that I love, I either borrowed or read or stole from him. But a lot of the things that I really enjoy, I had to go back and build a collection of, uh, mm-hmm. I'd go to Pat's book nook. I'd go to, you know, Gulliver's tattered cover and I would pick up back issues of ghost Rider out of order. So I had the last issue of the series. I managed to find the second to last issue and I found several of them from like the thirties. And eventually I built this complete run of the Johnny blaze ghost Rider, And it was, that was Part of it, it was like the the thrill of the hunt, putting together these stories that were before my time and archaeology, you know, assembling this full history of a character who I was only there for the tail end of. I saw him flame out, quite literally. And so I, you know, I spent some time, several years actually, going back and reassembling that character's history and then reading through it as I got each issue. And then finally going through and reading it all in order and realizing that, you know, the vast majority of it was pretty sort of awful. (laughs) But, you know, having the ability to do that, that's really what got me into comics is I'm not necessarily just about the characters. And people say, I read Marvel and I read DC. I have no allegiance to anyone. I want to know about the comics, the characters, the history, the writers, the artists, the companies. So, you know, if you talk to me about Captain Marvel, I like, you know, one of my favorite Captain Marvel stories is the Monster Society of Evil story from 1940-odd, let's say, 45. But I also want to talk about how C.C. Beck created a character called uh, Fat Man the Human Flying Saucer in 1966, that had a costume virtually identical to Captain Marvel's. And I want to talk about the um, the magazine Enterprise's knockoff Captain Marvel who would split at each joint by screaming his magic word, Zam. And I want to talk about, you know, Captain Thunder and Fawcett Comics going under and how Fawcett going under eventually led to DC actually having another company steal the name Captain Marvel from them in copyright terms. You know, that's the fascinating parts of it. It's not just a question of, I really loved, say, the Inferior Five, which I do. But I also love the fact that the Inferior Five is written by Nelson Bridwell, who later went on to write the Super Friends comic book, which was like ten times as cool as the Super Friends cartoon. No way. You know, stuff like that. Get on those tangents, yeah. Where I talk for an hour and literally four people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um... Anything else, Rodrigo? You want to add any other influential comics? Um, I think I, I thought of another. I like great that example. issue of X Men with Maggie. That was a well. Good I mean, one. and and that is that is important to me because that is when I started reading X Men. And furthermore, True. I got into comics through comic cards, through comic trading cards. cards. Oh, right. trading cards! I think we talked about that before, right? We have. Yeah, um, I used to have a lot of those. So you know, I knew stuff that was happening in the previous years, but when I got into X-Men, which was really the only comic that I was interested in for a long time, because Spider-Man seemed oddly inaccessible with his 15 books, but 
because it was right. one character over 15 books but each x-men book had a at that point had a different team of x-men right, right. so i could be like oh i like this team and buy those um but yeah it's just you know that's that's kind of what i was into and it's it's kind of colored what what my reaction to things is and and i remember one of my probably one of my very first totally indignant nerd moments was long really long after that uh, had stopped being good and some will argue that it never was but i think that the introduction of uh maggot marrow and uh, cecilia reyes did bring something interesting to the x-men right um and then i remember like they're out in space for some stupid reason and they take marrow and they stick her in this chamber and she goes from growing horribly painful spiky bone protrusions to basically growing little bone quills that grow out sort of in the same way that her hair becomes feathered right and i remember sitting there thinking i was like well this character's ruined like she could have been the next like and i remember like holding my comic and kind of like shaking it and thinking she could have been the next wolverine they have been trying so hard to have the next wolverine yeah and the reason why she would have made a great the next wolverine is because she wasn't a wolverine clone is because mm-hmm. she had a completely different dark history right and dark past and enemies and friends and stuff already built into her character because she was a morlock and they went and they turned her into a, another pretty pretty princess who sh- who shoots stuff out of her wrists mm-hmm. you know and just like all the other x-men girls or the wasp i don't know um <laughs> So I mean that the that, ones who that, just make st- strike a pose and point exactly. So that I mean that was an important period. It's it's, it's like a microcosm of comics in general. You know, you kind of get into it, and eventually, some writer comes along and turns what you love into crap. I mean, that's an important part for every comic book reader because <laughs> it happens all the time. Yeah, and eventually you learn yeah, to deal with it or to say. Age. Or, or to say, you know what, I don't need to read this anymore. Mm-hmm. Or to say, you know what, it might get good again, so I'm going to keep reading it. And maybe all this stuff about mm-hmm. space pirates will go away. Do uh, I like do, the space pirates. I didn't. Do comics get better? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, look at Thor. Yeah, the Straczynski stuff was really, really good. Don't know about the new stuff. Although I should say, last week I did uh, purchase Ultimate Thor number one for the iPad. Just bought it on the iPad edition. I really like that story. It's Ultimate Thor, but it's actually telling a past history of Thor. Um, kind of like, not an origin, but it's talking about when he was in Asgard mm-hmm. with Loki before things fell to crap. And it's it's actually set kind of a, there's also a World War II component where, I don't know if they're Hydra or who they are, actually open up the Rainbow Gate, uh, Rainbow Bridge, mm-hmm. and go to Asgard with these frost giants dressed in Nazi outfits nice, nice. and it's really cool to see that I'm, I'm interested to see what where they're going with that but what i like about that is it's not set in the current ultimate mm-hmm. comics universe um uh, you know ultimate comics when it started was really good i'm i'm kind of like into that point where it's not so good anymore unfortunately but that do you mean the ultimate banner was yeah. good when it first started or yeah. do you mean ultimate comics the book well, Ultimate Comics was good when it started. No, the Ultimate Universe, right, right. was very good whenever. Well, it first because started. the idea was a good idea, and it and it was good, and was still, I thought, maybe not Fantastic Four was not as great, but you know, the um, Ultimate Spider Man, I thought was still good, and I think X Men, even though I'd only read it sporadically in the Ultimate Universe, well, was good up until they created Ultimatum. And, and it wasn't even, you know, I would really love to ask Brian Michael Bendis what he thought of Ultimatum, because essentially Ultimatum was written by somebody else, and yet it changed the entire universe that he plays yeah. in and that he essentially controls. See, for me, like, I I saw Ultimate Spider-Man and I was like, this is great. It's not, and, and, and I might go into this later, but it's not the ballsiest move, but it's a pretty pretty strong move to say, okay, there's a brand new generation of readers, we're going to right. write Spider-Man for them. Right. And we're going to pick and choose and kind of weave this universe for them. Mm-hmm. And I think with Spider-Man, they did a great job. With X-Men, they did an okay job. Yeah. And I think it's largely because I didn't agree with a lot of the re-characterizations. I mm-hmm. think there was a lot of times where I'm like, where they were like, oh, I know what will make Jean Grey better. Like, with Spider-Man, it never went past, it seemed... Um, 
Gwen Stacy's now the bad girl. Mary right. Jane is now the good girl. Right. It seemed that every new X Men that came in, it was a flip of the coin. It's like Jean Grey is kind of a hussy now, mm-hmm. and Jubilee is like, bah, fight the system. And <laughs> Colossus is a gay mobster. Yeah. You know, is which is you know, it's not a problem with him being gay, not a problem with him being a mobster, but it's completely different from right, right. the Colossus that we were familiar with. Right. You know. At any given point. Matthew, any thoughts on Ultimate? Did you read any of the Ultimate Universe stuff on a regular basis? <laughs> he I, did. I have a problem. I Not off and on. I have a problem with the Ultimate Universe. Which is? And the problem is not that not that they did it, although there was some indignation on my part. I, I believe that uh, at one point, apocryphally speaking, and this may be fully crap, uh, Steve Rude was contacted about maybe providing some... Uh, art for ultimate comics and rude apparently supposedly said the only ultimate marvel universe is the one stan and jack created click which is an extreme view it's you know it's got its point but i think that ultimate spider-man was good as ultimate spider-man and for about 30 issues it was ultimate spider-man right and then there was ultimate marvel team up and then there was Ultimate Fantastic Four, and then there was Ultimate X-Men, and it, it when it became a universe-building enterprise is where it fell apart for me. Because right. in order to introduce that many characters, first of all, the Black Widow appeared in Mar- Ultimate Marvel Team-Up. Yeah, that was a, a big very, problem. very charming story. Yeah, by Terry Moore. And then later appeared in Ultimates. And then... When we're creating this universe, there are two things you can do. It's kind of like the whole thing we talked about, the bait and switch, a couple of weeks ago with Superman. If you're doing Ultimate Nightcrawler, you can have it be something similar to our Nightcrawler with uh, what a twist. Or you can do completely opposite of our Nightcrawler. So half the time, what it would come down to is... Dazzler is not a disco princess. She's this tattooed uber punk, you know, Sonic Youth kind of person. Yeah. And then they started doing storylines that we'd already seen. We, you know, we saw the Phoenix storyline in the Ultimate. What a twist! We saw the Venom. We saw Venom come back in the Ultimate World. We saw, you know, the introduction of the Avengers, and the Ultimates was done very well in that. The first two issues of Avengers became a two 12-issue limited series mm-hmm. where Loki screws with the team until they come together and they actually become a, you know, a good fighting force. But what it came down to for me was, at the end of the day, we had two versions of how things happened. You had Ultimate Venom, and then you had Regular-Ass Venom. And you had Ultimate Green Goblin, and then you had regular Green Goblin. And it became an exercise in continuity and upkeep, and it became a situation where Ultimate Pyro was horribly burned by his powers. That's the only difference between Ultimate Pyro and regular Pyro. Hmm. They're both incredibly dull, one-shot villains, but one of them is horribly burned. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it you know it came to the point where it was in, I think, Ultimate Fantastic Four, one of the things was like, and you won't believe what we've done with Ultimate Namor. And my response was, why do I care? If I love Namor and you've done something wild and wacky, I'm going to be irritated. If I don't give a rat's ass about Namor and you've done something either wild or wacky or completely true to what character we know, I don't like Namor. So, you, I mean, you have to ask yourself at that point, when did that continuity become a problem? And for me, it became a problem when the concept became successful and they went back to the well too many times. Yeah. Early issues of Ultimate Spider-Man are good. The first Ultimates, the first two Ultimate series are good. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, what was it? Ultimate Iron Man when was, was passable. Ultimate Iron Man 2 was pretty awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not like Ultimate Iron Man 2. Um, Ultimates, what is it? Now we're in Ultimate Avengers and Ultimates at the same time. Right. Ugh. The last Ultimate book that I read and really was fascinated by was Ultimate X, number two, um, which was a really nice oh, deconstruction. Oh, yeah, that's the Wolverine reboot? Of, 
Uh, well, no, no. The, the issue two was uh, the re- revelation that Jean Grey is still alive. Oh, okay. and basically, it's taken Jean Grey. You know, they killed her boyfriend. They killed her mentor. They killed Wolverine, who was always the major, you know, article for her affections. And they took her away from all these men who had defined her. And she went out and found a life of her own. And then somebody came in and blowed it up. I mean, it was a really nice take on the Jean Grey character, who, to be frank, has kind of fallen back and forth between super action girl and girlfriend in distress in her history. So (laughs) I liked that, but I feel like the ultimate universe fell apart when it became the ultimate universe and not just ultimate Spider-Man. That's for me. That's what I liked because for me, that was my access, my gateway to Marvel stuff was I could read the stuff that was still generally new. And yes, we were getting retellings of some of the older stories, uh, and I and I like that, and I like how they would twist things around. And, and quite frankly, I loved Eminem and uh, Bendis together on Ultimate Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't reading everything Ultimate, so I would all religiously read Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, I think definitely Ultimate Spider-Man is where that worked best. Yeah. It's where they... It, it seems that they sat down and said, does this work? Yes, keep it. Does mm-hmm. this work? Yes, keep it. Does this work? No, change it. Right. Um, some, and, and really what ends up happening is sometimes the change is not what you would like. Right. But the yeah. fact that they changed it makes sense. Like, I never liked big, beefy, only green head, green goblin that shoots fireballs. Right. But they did it because the green goblin, as he stood, didn't make a lot of sense mm-hmm. necessarily in this, you know... Mm-hmm. In this razzle dazzle, like genetic engineering right. world, as opposed to you know atomic Superman world, right? Right. Um, so, although the choice that they went to wasn't the best, the choice to change them was reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that with a lot of the other ones, it was like does they didn't even do that. They're just like, oh man, I get to, oh, I get to write the Fantastic Four from the beginning. Yeah. Awesome! I'm gonna have this, and I'm gonna have that, and spoiler alert. Cable is Wolverine. So yeah. there, suck us. Yeah. What? <laughs> and then you know, yeah. it's like, well, you, and that and what an awesome what if story that is. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at it from the perspective of that didn't work, let's do something different. That's great. But what it leads to is right now the Ultimate Universe has four characters called Hulk. They've been yes. around for ten years, and there are four characters called Hulk. How in the world is, you know, John Q. Schmuckensee going to come in and read one of these titles, knowing what they know about the Hulk? Because everybody knows the Hulk to some degree. Lou Ferrigno, rawr, trapped in a world he never made. David Banner, everybody knows that. Ooh, Ang Lee, panels fly around. Oh, no, a bear is driving. But... <laughs> but if you go in there and you're like, you've got Gangster Hulk, who, by the way, is a really, really offensive ethnic stereotype. You've got Nerd Hulk, who is uh, just as offensive, but, you know, not ethnic and, though you know, more acceptable. A slur on a life choice rather than a slur on something you got. You got Bruce Banner Hulk. You got another Hulk. You got a She-Hulk. You know, it, it gets to the point where... There's too many variations on a theme, and yes, it's good to revamp a concept that didn't quite pan out, but when that concept doesn't pan out and you go back to the well again immediately before that first character is even done, you you end up to the point where nobody wants to know, and this actually is true of the regular Marvel and DC universes, nobody wants to know the difference between Nerd Hulk and Gangsta Hulk. It you know nobody is entirely sure if they want to know how Betty Ross became Red Hulk in the regular universe or what? you know what's going on what's going on with Black Hand and why he's been dragged away by the Indigo Tribe. It's come to a point where you have to read so much to try and keep up with these plot points that it becomes inconvenient to even care. Yeah, you know, eventually your regular book will will cross over with the big thing, and you'll get two issues that explain what you need to know, and then you'll move on. Yeah, I think that's kind of what's happened to me is uh, I'm to the point now where I don't care what's going on in a lot of mm-hmm. the stories. I really don't care what's going on in the Ultimate Universe anymore. I'll occasionally pick up an Ultimate Spider-Man and go, wait a minute, there's a there's two chameleons now or, you know, something like that. Or I'll pick up. Yeah, there's up, chameleon and chameleonaire. Yes. And then I'll pick up uh, uh, the Flash and go, still don't care. Mm-hmm. Or I'll pick up Brightest Day and say, how did this get in my pull list? 
you know? Uh, and then who knows? Maybe in six months I'll come back. Oh, new Aqualad. And 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 it's it's New funny because because I jumped out of, of of regularly reading comics a long time ago. I just right. there was really nothing that that was really uh, worth spending money. Maggot on was dead, me. and there's no reason for you to live anymore. Yeah, I think Maggot got killed two or three times. You know, like just by writers who didn't realize that another writer had killed them. Yeah. Um. But. Uh, and and you know I still have my continuities and stuff and stuff that I liked and it uh, right now you know it annoys me and and there's no reason why it should annoy me but it does and you know but like for example I'll, I'll talk to Rob who follows at least DC pretty regularly right Rob from the uh, Critical, Critical Hit, Hit. podcast mm-hmm. and we'll be talking about characters and I'll be like yeah and then you know so there was this whole thing and then Firestorm di- did this and he's like yeah and then he you know went to Japan and learned to be a ninja and then did this other thing. And I'm like, no, he didn't. Oh, you're talking about like, not, you know, like 1997 and on Firestorm. Right, right. I don't care about that guy. And, you know, it makes the conversation more difficult. Yeah. But also it, you know, and, and still some, you know, I hear this stuff and I'm like, yeah, this doesn't make me want to go back and find out what exactly did happen. Mm -hmm. I'll just be wrong about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. (laughs) Um, every so often, I will get on the Twitter, uh, at Major Spoilers, twitter.com slash Major Spoilers. And you know, Rodrigo's on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, under Fearsome Critter, if you want to follow him. All one word. All one word. I actually considered making all one word my, uh, <laughs> my Twitter name, but <laughs> the problem is, is that it looks like it says, like, a lone word. <laughs> yes. I was like, I don't want people to think that I'm lame. <laughs> But every once in a while, I'll do You're this like thing. You're like that emo kid. Usually, it's, it's a lonely the day, Central Time, when it's like between four and five, when I'm just, there's not enough time left in the day to actually get work done, but it's too early <laughs> to go pick day, up my son. Central Time. Yeah, end of the day, Central Time. Well, you know, we have words, people spread you know. out all over the world. And so I'll do Ask Major Spoilers, where you can ask any question, mm-hmm. and I will answer it. You may not always get the answer you're expecting, but I will answer it. And you can ask anything. You can ask about something uh, about how major spoilers runs, or you can ask specific questions about uh, anything that's going on. Yeah, opinions that we have. Has anybody uh, asked who Cricket is yet? Yeah, somebody did a while ago. Yeah, somebody asked who was Cricket, and I answered that question. Um, There are some questions that I just uh, asked people to throw out a few moments ago. Uh, These are directed to all of us. Uh, First one is, favorite movie of all time, Rodrigo? Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Matthew? Ooh, that's rough. Um, probably either the Black Hole or the Transformers animated cartoon. All right, Stephen, it's uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, favorite TV show of all time? Gargoyles. Matthew. Ooh, that's another tough one for me. Uh, I'm going to say Gilligan's Island. Rockford Files. And and really, you have to understand that my favorite TV show of all time today is Gargoyles. Mm-hmm. If you ask me tomorrow, it might be the X-Men, you know, 90s cartoon, etc. I still think Rockford Files will always be on my favorites list. Yep. If only for that theme song. Oh, that is an awesome theme song. We were playing Guess the Theme Song the other day, like, my girlfriend and a friend and I, and, like, this guy didn't know the theme from Blossom. I don't know the uh, theme from Blossom. Oh, you would know it if you heard it. Thank you for being my friend. That's in my opinionation, oh. the yep. sun is gonna surely shine. But I should have totally done the X Men theme because I think it's just <laughs> like, yep, exactly. It's recognizable. It would have driven them crazy because I bet they wouldn't have guessed it. Uh, someone says, "Can't remember if I asked this before, but where does Aquaman go to the bathroom?" Um, in the in in, in the John. Well. Here's here's the thing. In the toilet? It, I, I assume that it depends where he is. Okay. If he's at his palace, I assume that they have some place for him to go to the bathroom. He's a freaking king. Right. So it, whether that is his own private dunny or, <laughs> or he has some kind of very specialized fish extract things out, doesn't matter. <laughs> he goes to a particular place. I'm guessing that if he's ever out on a mission out in the way, way open ocean, right. then he does what, for example, I do when I'm on a mission way, way out in the open <laughs> fields is you just kind of pull over, hope that the owner isn't around and do your business. Do I your think, business. I think Find he's a more point trying to make a joke about, you know, Aquaman swims in water. You poop in the water, 
in your toilet, where does it go? I, I say Aquaman uh, poops in a bag and then he flings it up on the beach. He he does. That's that's where all Lights of Atlantis is. Uh, all of Atlantis's sewage uh, empty out onto <laughs> um, the the craft factories and uh, yes. Well, Nightwing. The obvious or Red answer Robin? here is that nobody in the DC universe poops. Nope. 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 They all process it. Nightwing or Red Robin, Matthew. Don't care. Yum. Yum. <laughs> um, Nightwing. Why? Because the the Red Robin costume is a horrible, ugly uh, Alex Ross atrocity, and yeah. Nightwing's costume, especially the early disco costume with the feathers oh, and with that the big thing. Uh, yellow yeah. collar. Yeah, I like Nightwing. Nightwing is a character who made his own place. You know, Wally West became the Flash. But Nightwing became Batman without becoming Batman, and he did his own thing. And so, you know, having him become the Batman was a little disappointing for me in that it meant no more Nightwing. But I like yeah. Nightwing as a character. Okay. Um, depends on which version of Red Robin you're talking about. If you're talking about Kingdom Come Red Robin, don't well, he's care He's on for there it. for like three seconds. If you're talking about um, that little brief moment in time where... Uh, um, Jason, Jason Todd. Todd was Red Robin. Don't care for that. Mm. Tim Drake as Red Robin. I really like him as as Red Robin. Is he better than Nightwing? I like Nightwing from uh, that Nightwing series that ran. Where he's beating up people in what Blood is it like Haven. the mid mid two thousands? Yeah, when he moved to Bloodhaven. I like I like that that version. Bloodhaven. Um, I don't know why Matthew doesn't like the costume. I personally loved Red Robin when he was uh, doing a, a late night show with Brack and Zorak <laughs> and Moltar. Um, no, I I I really I like the Nightwing. costume fine when it was yeah. Doctor Midnight's. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. I I like I really like Nightwing, which is why. I am it's it's weird cuz I'm I'm voting with like all of those crazy people but for the wrong reason. It's like people are like no. You know, Dick Grayson will never be Batman. He shouldn't be Batman. It should be Bruce Wayne. Right. And people are like no, no, no. He could be Batman. And I'm like he doesn't need to be Batman right. because he's Nightwing. Right, right. That's like saying why doesn't Clark Kent put on the Batman suit and he be Batman? The reason is he's Superman. He's actually a really cool Batman. I don't remember if it's Batman animated series or if it's Superman animated series where he actually dresses up as Batman because Batman's missing. Yeah. It is a freaking awesome there, episode. It is a classic, classic like Batman Superman ploy for them yeah, to yeah. dress as each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like, haha, Superman, the green kryptonite is killing you. No, it's, no, it's not. not. <laughs> yeah. And you know, same thing on the other way is like, haha, Batman, I have this Uzi trained on you. Baka, 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 baka. Yeah. It does nothing to me, for I am Superman. I'm Batman, yeah. Yeah, but go look out if you haven't seen that that particular animated episode. It's really good. Um Matthew, who has the bigger ego? Luthor or Doom? Steven. Yes. <laughs> Correct. Um honestly. I say Doom simply because Luthor at least is Luthor is subtle in his evil and he doesn't necessarily go to great lengths to tell you how wonderful he is. Luthor does horrible things and backhanded things and makes things happen and then goes, ha, I'm Luthor. Whereas you know, right, Doom baby, is I'm like, Luthor. I am the he who is called Dr. Doom. I would I would go just the opposite of you, Matthew. I would say that Luthor has the bigger ego because he doesn't go all flamboyant like Doom does. He doesn't, you know, jump around and say, I am Doom. Uh, he doesn't jump around and say, I am Luthor. I mean, there's occasions when he does that. Mm -hmm. But if you think, if you equate, and this is a bad equation, I'm sure people are going to jump all over me for this. But if you equate uh, Bill Gates with Victor Von Doom mm -hmm. and you equate Steve Jobs <gasps> with... Um, with Lex Luthor, <laughs> who has the bigger ego, Bill Gates or or, or Steve Jobs? <laughs> this is kind of a complex metaphor here, right? I mean, no, I mean, I think, think that about it. it's it's easier to break it down and say that. Uh, well, Lex Luthor is George Clooney, whereas I think Doctor Doom is more Val Kilmer. Yeah, 
you do you that know, too. Who's who's yeah. crazier? Doesn't matter. Rodrigo, do you have a, a opinion? I would say Doom has the bigger ego because I think that Luthor shows a lot of the time that he is willing to be practical, mm-hmm. whereas Doom is basically never practical. If like <laughs> if it conflicts with his ego, he will make a mistake and lose. Whereas usually Luthor is, you know, slightly outsmarted by Superman and that kind of thing. But I think we see uh, um, Doom's hubris bring him down much more often than we see Luthor's. Yeah. Uh, someone asked a really good question. What will it take to have you guys attend Gra- Dragon Con and do a live critical hit, even though Matthew hates crowded, crowded cons? Dragon Con, I lived in Atlanta and always hear people talk about Dragon Con. And this was before Dragon Con really blew up big when I was down mm-hmm. there. But, I mean, it was a big event. Yeah. Never really went. Everybody was like, oh, it's an anime thing. And I was like, eh, I'm not interested in that. Um, I would love to go back to Dragon Con. Really would love to. I can tell you, there's there's a simple answer to this. Well, I can too. There's, there's you know what would very get us, simple answers. You know what would get us there? Money. Tickets, car fare, and a hotel room paid for. You book it, we'll show. Yeah, that's that's the big thing. Plus, for me, there's a little bit of a different problem, and I think maybe with Rodrigo, it kind of falls into the same category too, is Dragon Con is always around the end of August, 1st of September, and that always conflicts with two things. The start of school, mm-hmm. which is impossible to, you know, if it's the first week of school and you're asking me to step out for a week to go do stuff, ain't going to happen. Plus, it also sometimes conflicts with my birthday, and nothing conflicts with my birthday. <laughs> Um, and, and for me, it is like, we do have day jobs, unfortunately. So, yeah. So, you know, give us enough money to where we can quit our day jobs and we'll be going to to conventions all over the place. That said, I'm perfectly willing to throw these guys uh, under a bus. Um, throw who under the bus? Uh, D and D Brian. Rob and Brian. And Rob, because they're going to, to Nebraskan. Nebraskan? They're they're not representing major spoilers, so if they make any claims, you can you can deny them <laughs> service. Um, but if you keep an eye out for two dark hair, grody looking nerds, <laughs> wait, um, yeah, I know. Yeah, I good know, luck with the that. Of this. Um, then you might be able. You should just ask every grody looking nerd you see if they are. Uh, are you the WIBW Santa Claus? <laughs> Especially the best part about it is that both Rob and Brian are very common names. Yes. So you might you might just end up in a situation where you're like, I got to meet D and D Brian. It's like, no, you just met a guy who likes D and D named Brian. <laughs> Yeah, just shout out D&D Brian or shout out Ket if you're yep. going to the Nebraskan. Didn't know anything about that. Um, let's see. Two more questions. Uh, one trade that you would take with you on vacation. Oh, that's probably the Chew trades. I, I, it's oh, funny yeah, because Chew, yeah. a trade that I would take on vacation is a trade that I haven't read. So that's it, it's it's weird. I would I I still want to read the first volume of Oko. Oh yeah, yeah, the, um, yeah, yeah. I still want to read the first. I started reading the yeah, first volume of Chew. It's pretty good. I want to finish reading the like or catch up with the Dark Tower stuff mm-hmm. from Marvel, mm-hmm. which I have three trades, only one of which I've gotten through. Okay, Matthew, biggest one I could. Um, yeah. maybe Absolute Watchmen. Oh, there you go. Nice. Yeah, I'd kind of go with Daredevil Omnibus, I... man. It's like yeah. pow. I, I would take something that I haven't read with me, but at the moment, there's nothing that I haven't read that I'm interested in reading, to be honest. Uh, I guess Gone here is is uh, coming up soon. Yeah, but that's a quick read. <laughs> yeah. you, you should take the first six volumes of Gone if you're okay. going on a one-week vacation. Okay. Uh, let's see. Last question. Does the fact that you're recording your D&D sessions for the Critical Hit podcast ever change how you play? Well, for me, it's yes, because I'm always thinking about how do I fill in information for the listeners, such as, let me flip to this page and read you this information, mm-hmm. or asking a question that, even though I may know the answer to, I think needs further explanation. Yeah. I don't think we've ever, I mean, I haven't held anything back simply because it would make for more dramedy. Right. Uh, although the one time where it was the big decision of, do I stay or run? I intentionally ended that episode right. and drew that out so that... But then again, we still made the game decision right. as though yeah. it, we weren't recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because immediately after we recorded right. that session, Rodrigo made me say what was the decision, even though two weeks, three weeks later for most of you, you didn't hear 
mm-hmm. what went on. So we knew, we knew what was going to happen. You didn't. And I, maybe that's, I mean, I don't know, Rodrigo, if you, when you set up our session, you know that we have anywhere from five to seven hours to record. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if people know that, that we record, yeah, we, you know, five to seven, or we try to record three to five episodes each time we sit down. Right. But do you specifically plan the episodes to fit within that time period or the I, gaming I, session I, to fit within I, that time period? I plan the session to a certain degree and sometimes things happen and sometimes they don't. And it, it's, it's kind of complex because, uh, uh, but this doesn't change because of how we record because I usually, my gaming sessions when I run just a normal game are between four and five hours right. up to six and seven hours depending on the crew and right, right. how late it is. Um, so that's not what changes it. I do change the way that I run things because of logistics. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally like to take characters aside oh, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or players aside and talk to them about what their character knows or doesn't know or suspects or whatever. Um, on Critical Hit, that's very inconvenient because we're strapped down with uh, right, headsets, headsets and everything. And because everything's recorded... Um, then that means that part of the thing isn't recorded, right. which is weird. Or it is recorded, which means the other players can just go find that information. Right, right. Albeit, right. you know, two weeks to two, two month, months yeah. later. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does change that dynamic. So I've just kind of opted to not do that. I I always roll out in the open no matter what, but I've kept a lot more information out in the open for you guys right. um, because it's just very inconvenient not to. Right. Matthew? I would say, yeah, um, for uh, two very important reasons. Uh, one obvious and one obvious pretty much only to people who have actually played the game with me. Um, I think everybody in the Critical Hit uh, podcast knows the second one to be true. The first one is that I am uh, honestly and amazingly and probably horrifyingly more respectful of Rodrigo's storytelling and less uh, less of a, and then this happened and I, and going off on a Groucho Marx tangent, because it's disruptive to the show and also because it's tough for me, there are occasionally, you know, three to four second delays to where I don't want to seem like I'm talking over people, especially in long recording sessions. So, yeah, I think I hold back on things that in a normal session I would have thrown in. Because in a normal session, most of the sessions that I've played, you know, I can pretty well judge the room. And a lot of times, you know, either I or the dungeon master, or if they are one and the same, you know, and really encourage that sort of bastardry. And secondly, and this is one that, you know, should be obvious to everyone on the podcast right now, and I think people listening may be able to tell this, I am more sensitive about my portrayal and the perception of, you know, both this show and the Critical Hit show than I ever want anybody to know. So um, if I get seriously negative feedback, I'll be pissed, and then I'll be hurt, and then I'll be whiny, and then eventually... I will actually try and process that feedback into something and, you know, decide whether it's realistic or not. Um, you know, in a recent recording session, we got literally the day before we got one a very rare bit of negative review and it was kind of aimed at me and I'll, I'll cop to parts of it. Some of it was true, but it really, you know, it, it upset me and it hurt my feelings and it affected my portrayal of Torque for that whole gaming session. And listening to the episodes, I can tell where I was pouting, and I can tell the point where I decided, you know what, f this, I'm just going to do it and have fun. Right. But going through that, I'm, you know, I can hear my own thought processes going on. So yeah, I would say that I am constantly changing my portrayal based on input. But that would be true if we weren't recording. True. You know, all the recording does is it adds more people to give me feedback to obsess over. <laughs> and we do enjoy the feedback. In fact, what I would like to see, you know, uh, Critical Hit has a crap ton of five-star reviews. Mm-hmm. I would like everybody to think about going over to uh, iTunes and giving major spoilers 
a crap ton of five-star reviews or just right. five-star ratings. We have a, not a ton of crap reviews, <laughs> but a crap ton of five-star crap reviews. A ton of five-star reviews, right. yes. Of good yeah, reviews. we don't want to read your crap reviews. And remember, we are I open had... to any feedback you have, but be nice for God's sake. <laughs> well, be polite at least. Oh, yeah, I don't mind if people want to chastise me for... Hey, by the way, you, know, you uh, said two guys from Chicago. Oh, it's really two guys from yeah, Cleveland. I, hey, that's a know, great way I've, to tell me that I'm messed up. But don't go, hey, you stupid F-tard. Don't you effing know anything, you moron? <laughs> it's guys from Cleveland. I think I think the, the, for me, the, the difference between Critical Hit and Major Spoilers is that on Major Spoilers, people tend to be a lot more um, receptive, both positively and negatively, to uh, both of you guys. You think? And then and then it's like, I oh, and it's... Rodrigo kind of keeps the balance. But in Critical <laughs> Hit, I've actually gotten like legitimate criticism. Like, I can't believe you did this. You are always throwing things that target reflex at Torque, and you know that hurts him. How dare you? <laughs> you really people contact you directly on that? Yeah, I've gotten I've gotten stuff over Facebook and Twitter, um, and just like general comments that uh, in on the show that are aimed at me. Yeah, I don't. You know, it's it's funny because I don't think and on every show, every show that we do as a group. It's funny because there are people that totally despise one of us. Mm -hmm. I totally despise Steven in every shape or form. I'm glad he didn't have anything to say that entire episode. That's wonderful. And then there's people that are like, I love Steven. I think he does an awesome job. And does they do that with all of yeah. us. Right. Whether it be in this show oh, yeah. or whether it be over in Critical Hit. And it's just so funny when... On you'll have one comment that says the guy who plays Torque is a real jerk. Uh, he needs to shut up. And then the very next comment is, "I love Torque. I think the guy who does that is wonderful." It's just everybody, and I think Matthew always sums it up very nicely. Everybody's always going to have their own opinion of what they like and dislike, and I think that's what makes the show work really well. Oh, yeah. Is we've got three different people with three very different opinions and backgrounds that bring something to the show. Uh, but you know, your mileage, as always, may vary. May, yep, may vary. All right, everybody. Think that wraps it up for this week's show, weekend's show, I should say. Again, it's a different uh, podcast than what we do. It's us just sitting around and shooting the bowl over topics that come up, and it's our thoughts and opinions, and uh, these shows a lot of times are there to give you a better insight into our deep, dark, terrible minds. And uh -huh. next week, two hours on where is Ivy Town and why that's important to the legend of the Atom. All right, we'll talk about that next week on the weekend show. So until then, remember, we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. And we know where you live. <laughs> I've got your IP address. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com, and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine bee in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major
major spoiler. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2010. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.